When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. In Billy Wilder's masterpiece, Sunset Boulevard, the ambitious young script reader Betty Schaefer asks the cynical and struggling screenwriter Joe Gillis, Don't you sometimes hate yourself? Constantly, Joe replies. Gillis is one of the great writers and crisis characters in film history, and there are many. This character has been a constant in Hollywood, and this year is no exception. On the show today, we're going to talk about what makes the writer in crisis so fascinating, 2023's many interesting iterations, and our top 10 favorites historically. And joining me to do this, well, he's really one of the greats in film criticism and analysis with such a passion for cinema. I'm a longtime listener of his podcast, The Big Picture, which he co-hosts with Amanda Dobbins, and he is the head of content at The Ringer. Sean Fennessy, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Christina. A very enthusiastic and kind introduction, which I really, (laughs) really appreciate. Well, it's Um, all true. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I am also kind of a lapsed writer, so I I look forward to exploring this with you. Does the writer in crisis resonate with you then on a personal level? Is there a writer who is not in crisis, I think is a more appropriate question. I'm married to a screenwriter in constant crisis, so (laughs) we might not get into that, but I can tell you stories. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's definitional to the character, like self-doubt, confusion, anxiety, the sense that you're not achieving what you need to, that you need to get back to work, that what you've done isn't good enough. (laughs) I feel like these are core aspects of the person. And so also films being such a writer-driven medium it feels not surprising that you see so many stories like this in the space. Right. That's the the premise of today's talk. It, there's so many writers in general, but we're going for this subcategory, the writer in crisis, because this year has so many. It started with Julia Louis-Dreyfus movie, You Hurt My Feelings, about a writer who overhears her husband saying he does not like her latest work. Andrew Hayes, All of Us Strangers, the screenwriter looking back at his parents, Justin Triate's Anatomy of a Fall, the marriage between two writers and a courtroom drama. And there's more. Celine Sons Past Lives is about two playwrights. Cord Jefferson's American Fiction. There's even documentaries like The Pigeon Tunnel about Jean Le Carré, betrayal and writing. Is there a reason, Sean, you think that in the zeitgeist that these writer characters and themes are so big now? I have a thesis. I don't know more of a theory. I don't know if it's provable, but I do think that the writer's crisis was amplified for all people during COVID Mm. and the sense of um, claustrophobia and the sense of being locked in a room with nowhere to go, but your thoughts was something that everyone really understood from 2020 to roughly 2022 And so because of that, these stories are more resonant. And so it's maybe easier for studios, executives, 
the movie going public to better understand some of the issues that these characters are going through. I think also almost all of these movies are produced by either independent studios or smaller studios. Like I don't, I don't know if any of these movies with the exception of the pigeon tunnel, which is an Apple movie are not like mainstream stories. Um, I think there's something notable about that. And you were talking about that a bit before, but why is the writer such a good vessel? You write what you know. So what else would you say about that? Well, I feel like writers, our understanding of writers is that they are people who are in command of their own thoughts and are clear communicators. That's not actually always the case in real life. But when you have the power to write beautifully, you understand yourself and you understand what you want to say. That makes for a great movie character. Because movie characters have to express themselves. They have to verbalize what is going on in their worlds in most cases. And so I think that it's also like, it's not necessarily the most relatable struggle because if you're someone who works in, you know, if you're a builder, you don't really understand what it's like to be a writer and writers don't necessarily understand what it's like to be a builder. But I think anybody kind of struggling with an internal issue, with an emotional issue is inherently relatable. And a writer's job in many ways is to kind of transmogrify their personal issues their personal understanding of the world into their work and so they're usually a really good vessel i do think that some films and stories about writers can be navel gazing and Mm -hmm. can be um self-reflective at a loss in some ways but this year's crop the movies that you've cited already are among the best films of the year so I'm, i'm not sure why that is specifically maybe it's just chance that great filmmakers happen to take on this this topic Yeah, it's interesting that you say, because you can definitely relate to not being able to do what you love to do. I remember in Kafka, he said, a non-writing writer is a monster courting insanity. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, basically, and that applies to most of us who are, you know, not allowed to do what we want to do. And if you're having writer's block, which so many of these characters often have, um, that's something very relatable. But yes, I completely agree. They're so great. And these crop of movies feel particularly personal, like uh, Andrew Hayes. How do you feel about all the strangers? I like it quite a bit. Um, I I mean, I have this unfortunate job of talking about the awards race. And so often my brain goes to like, where does it fit in in the calculus of this year's uh, Oscar season, which is uh, like pointless when trying to have a sincere conversation like this. you know, actually, I, we may have seen it at the same screen. We did, fact, yeah. <laughs> uh, at, at, at the Telluride Film Festival. And I thought it was quite beautiful and quite touching. And it's been interesting thinking about it and thinking about where I'm at in my life. You know, I've lost a parent. Um, I, I'm I'm interested in where Andrew Hay is in, as a person and how he's seeing the world. Like we've watched him use his films, I think, to communicate about how he feels about getting older and and what uh, love means, what your relationship to your parents and, and romantic partners and identity. And in some cases, it's very overt, you know, and in Weekend, it's very clear, like why wow, that feels like mm-hmm. an almost an autobiographical movie. And then in a movie like Lean on Pete, he seems to be using it metaphorically about connection, relationship, friendship, alienation. Um, this movie felt like a kind of an amalgam of everything he had done to that point and kind of a culmination. Some of it, I think, works beautifully. I was very, very touched by um, the portrayal of his relationship to his parents, the Andrew Scott character. Uh, but I I think in an effort to be to not illuminate or not elucidate the specifics of the world that he made, um, he left a lot of gray area that. For some people, I think it's going to work magnificently. For me, at times, I I, I tripped on it, um, 
it's not it's not a heavy criticism of the movie but i think because i'm also a really big admirer of genre films i, I tend to get a little bit of genre logic brain going when you introduce the the concept of a ghost story and i didn't always understand where he was going i don't think of that this movie though christina as a movie about a writer even though you're 100 percent right that it is it's a, a movie about a screenwriter and and that actually maybe helps me frame it a little bit better because maybe this is a person who is thinking about his emotional experiences through the lens of having to craft a genre story to make it make sense, which is so fascinating. What, what did you think of it? I don't know if we discussed it after we oh, saw it. Oh, I was gutted. I, it completely got me. And, and I also lost a parent. Um, it spoke to me so much about, I actually was not only thinking about the, the my mother that I lost and what I should have said and didn't say and what, you know, everything that was between us. I was also thinking of what am, should I be saying to my children? <laughs> what am mm, I not saying? Yeah. What am I not doing? So it just got me on, on so many levels. And I thought the love story was amazing. And I was really involved in the fact that not knowing what's real, what's not real. Um, and I sort of made that my own thing with my emotions, thinking of my own family. So that really worked for me. So so it was great. I thought it was one of the best of the year. And the performances were really good as well. And the music, it's sort of my era. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, it, it, all it, that. There's, a, there's one scene in a club that is particularly oh my incredible. God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what do you I, make I, guess... of, I was going to say what you made of the Andrew Scott character in terms of our premise here. How is he, what's his writer's crisis about? Yeah, I think being completely unresolved in the way he is, um, connected and communicated with the people in his life and what trying to understand whether or not that was his fault or, or someone else's fault, I think is an interesting way of seeing it. And I, I had the exact same experience thinking about my mom, who I also lost and what I did say and didn't say and when I was there and wasn't there and why that was the case. And maybe what she did or said to me that I wonder if she would take back. And that's a very profound thing to kind of scrape in a person's uh, feelings when you're watching a movie. I mean, most movies you know, I, I live for movies and I watch them all day, every day, but very few can kind of identify those feelings. So I, as far as the writer, I think because he's a person who has to understand his character's motivations and backstory and world and how he wants to present it to an audience, um, there's something kind of ritualistic, psychologically demanding that he's doing in the film where he's kind of returning to these figures from his past to better understand them, to relive to reconnect whether or not he gets like uh i don't know catharsis or clarity is an interesting question yes of the film. that's interesting uh i don't know I, I i don't know if he does i'd probably like to ask andrew hay about that yeah. too i don't know what do you think about that um i'm very unsure about that too but one thing that i really felt is that how difficult it is and and seeing my husband as as well as a writer, when you really are writing about yourself, not just metaphorically, mm. not just using little pieces in another story, but like really having to challenge, you know, your own and, and you know, building the characters of your parents in the way that he does. And that, that alone is, is a crisis. It is. I, th I think it's an interesting pairing with, um, with his movie 45 years too, you know, which is about a long relationship and kind of some untold secrets in the relationship and kind of what we don't say to the people that we love you know that's a most movies about writers like i said earlier are very verbal all of us strangers is a very quiet very unspoken kind of movie even in the kind of confrontational moments it isn't always about getting it all out there um in particular there's a conversation that he has with claire foy's character who plays the younger version of his mother and 
I don't feel like they actually even said everything that they needed to say. You know, at a, at a certain point, like the Claire Foy character almost has, she has to be who she is. You know, there's not, it's not a completely imaginary world where everyone gets to close all the loops on our life, which I think is just such, was an interesting choice by him. I also don't know anything about the source material. I think it's based on a novel yeah. um, and how much liberty he took with the story, but I completely I agree. It feels like he is writing about his life. Talking about relationships, let's talk about the writers in crisis in a marriage. So in, in <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall, for example, where you have a married couple at the core, um, the husband dies and she's accused. And then basically it's it's a court drama. And there is a fight at the center between these two writers. They're both writers. That is pretty much I was at the edge of my seat and and like wanted to put a pillow on my face. It was just the a really, really realistic and horrible fight, but also very much about writing, about one not being able to write, one doing having much more success, about having writer's block. What do you make of like the married writer couples? Well, I'm glad you pointed out that scene. That might be the scene of the year. <laughs> oh my um, God. That is an, an eerily upsetting scene and very resonant if you've ever been in a long-term relationship. Forget about if you're a writer, just any Anybody. relationship. Anybody. <laughs> it, it, it nails an aspect of the marital fight that is really profound. Um, what you should have done I, for me, what things I have done for you. Um, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every maybe every five to 10 years, my wife and I, who, who, with whom I've been for a long time, almost 25 years, we've been together. We dated in high school, my wife. I mean, we Aww. know each other inside and out. Um, and I love my wife, of course. But every five to 10 years, you have a fight where you're like, this is the war. This is the things that we have not said to each other. And we are saying them. And that fight is an even more extreme version of that, that disagreement that people will have in their relationships. It's interesting that they're both writers because it is the prime example of what I'm talking about, which is two razor sharp intelligent people who know exactly how to communicate what they think about the world. They are tremendously literate and uh, articulate about their feelings. And every word is, is a dagger. Um, I love that sequence so much in that movie, even though I think it is a little bit of a, a cheap construct in this, in the building of the movie, you know, it's a, like, we have yeah, a recording. There's a reason it's there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we get to see it and it, it is evoked so clearly is so wonderful. I, I am not married to a writer, but being in the media, uh, I ha have so many of my friends are couples that are writers or podcasters nowadays or what have you like they, they have similar um, careers. My, my wife was a was is a math whiz and 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 graduated from Johns Hopkins with a mathematical sciences degree. She is like 180 She's degrees from me in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, she is a genius for sure, but also in a completely yeah. different kind of a intelligence than than I have or most of my friends have. So we don't have that kind of sparring. Um, but I think that I have seen it quite a bit in my social circles because uh, there's like a competitiveness, you know, that I think is under the surface. And the movie does a really nice job of clarifying when one person kind of has the upper hand or has had more success, more success. I don't know. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a circumstance like that. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you make of we that? Have, but, but it also makes for very interesting discussions on the other side that 
um, that I wouldn't give up for the world that, you know, the intellectual discussions we can have and the fights we can have about some cultural property, but that just becomes so interesting and opens my mind so much, but, oh my God, we know where to stick that dagger. <laughs> in those. But you know, it's interesting, Shauna, when, when I was putting this together, I was thinking married writer couples on film are often really horrible. It's like Bernard and Joan Berkman in the squid and the whale oh, have yeah. like Joan Castleman and the wife. Um, mm -hmm. Remember Shirley, I, the writer, the novelist, the horror story. Uh, Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson. I mean, that yeah. marriage is also, there's something about writers being married in film that, you know, they're really capitalizing on what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that, I mean, can we just say that like writers for the most part are very unhappy people? Yes. Like, I think that's, that's, a, that's a significant factor. And I, I don't totally know why that is. Like I said, I, I was a writer for a very long time and I have not really been doing it much at all in the last three or four years. And I sorely miss it, but I don't miss the angst of doing it. And you hear all the time, like, you know, writer's least favorite part of writing is the writing, you know, or most like they, they, they don't actually like the act of the writing. Maybe they like the editing, maybe like the, the moment it's published, maybe they like the idea conception, but the physical act of doing it causes such pain. <laughs> and I do think that that tends to bleed over. And narcissism. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. that's the, when two of them together. <laughs> no, no question. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about some other movies where for, for which this is the case. And a lot of times too, the Squid and the Whale is a great example, too, because that's very similar to Anatomy of a Fall, where it feels as though one person has the upper hand mm -hmm. and another person clearly does not. And or maybe there has been a shift in power over time or someone has never been able to seize the power that they feel they deserve in the relationship. I don't know. I, I honestly thank my lucky stars. I'm not married to uh, to a writer or a person <laughs> in the media. I've said this. I mean, my wife and I have talked about this all the time because frequently we will go out to dinner, you know, group dinner with a bunch of friends. And it's like seven jerks who just go to screenings all week and want to talk about movies. And my wife, who's a very engaged cultural consumer, but who's like, you guys just care about this way too much. Like your <laughs> desire to bicker over these things is absurd. Oh, so, I feel guilty. Well, no, I mean, it's honestly like we choose the life we want in many ways. And she chose to be around me and all of these people. So uh, it, it is interesting, though, because I, I do think that narcissism pervades mm -hmm. um, anybody who chooses to live this way. Well, we're going to get into some other ones. I just want to talk about one of the new ones, which I haven't seen yet. Um, but I'm hearing so mm. much about American fiction, thinking what is sort of the premise of the writer in that one? Uh, fascinating. I mean, do you want me to, how much do you want me to spoil for you? I don't want to ruin this wonderful movie for you. I, I, I'm fine with spoilers, but if you can sort of, for the listeners, keep it on balance. <laughs> sure. In the film, um, Jeffrey Wright plays a college professor and novelist who is at, you know, who has reached middle age, whose um, mother is getting older, whose siblings are getting older, they're getting divorced, who is he's still unmarried. And he's struggling because after publishing a series of novels that have been warmly received, but have not been big hits, and it's been a long time since a genuine success, he's taking a look at the landscape of modern fiction. And he's wondering where he went wrong, particularly when it comes to fiction um, and it's he's played by Jeffrey Wright. So he's a, a black author, but who does not want to be defined by his race as an author. But he sees what a lot of contemporary fiction looks like and the way that he perceives it is there's a kind of knowing exploitation happening amongst black writers in which they're speaking to a demographic that he feels is beneath him or that is kind of like a low cultural reach. And he's embittered by this. And while all these things are happening with his family, he makes this bold choice 
to kind of parody the world that he has observed has become successful and use some of those tools to write a book that he thinks quote unquote will sell, but is reprehensible. And he's done it just out of like frustration. (laughs) And one of the things I love about this movie, and I haven't talked to the writer director of the movie, but I, I think I will on, on, on my show. Um, But Cord Jefferson, there's so much consumption of alcohol in this movie. And Jeffrey Wright's character almost always has a drink in his hand and people don't talk about it. But I, I certainly remember in my writing days, I drank all wow. the time. I drank so much less now <laughs> that I don't write. And in, on a jag one night where he's poured himself a couple of whiskeys, he writes this book. And the way that the writing of the book is rendered in the movie is something I've never seen before. It's quite brilliant. And then lo and behold, the book itself, um, his agent reads it and finds that it's actually quite interesting. He thinks there's a market for it and it, it becomes a hot property. And I, you know, I won't really spoil anything else mm-hmm. from there. But, you know, this book that he's written is something that he despises, you know, that he doesn't feel is worthy, that he is trying to locate what's wrong with our culture by doing something that he feels is easy. And the fact that it has become a success makes him hate himself even more and makes him hate our culture and our world even more. Fascinating writer in crisis. Yeah, he's this embittered, like frustrated person who's thinking about himself and where he comes from and what he's gotten from his parents and what he's gotten from his understanding of his place in the world. Such a rich movie, and also this big it's a big idea movie, but it's really funny, mm-hmm. really funny. And it is, it is a like kind of the genuine article when, about what you're talking about. Like it is entirely focused on the act of writing, what people want from writing, and what they want from the reading experience, and how commercialization collides with art, art, art. And um, it's a very special movie. I liked oh, it quite a bit. Cannot wait. Um, it's also it's a movie you wouldn't, you, you, I didn't see it coming, I guess. Mm-hmm. And maybe by, if you hear me talk about it right now, I'm kind of ruining what's coming for you in some ways, which I feel bad about. But it, it's, it's eerie that you located this idea in a year where this may become the signature film from this idea. I can't wait. Let's get into talking some of our historically favorite writers in crisis. I don't know what yours are, I'm sure we'll have a few of the same, um, but why don't you start? Well, I think it would be, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention The Shining, um, the also in my uh, Stephen King adaptation by Stanley Kubrick uh, about a writer who may or may not be a horrendous person, but obviously a, a book written by a person in crisis and Stephen King who has been at war with, uh, with writer's block, with paranoia, with addiction in some ways, with a sense of confusion about how to be a person in a family um and it's kind of the signature portrayal of uh writer's paranoia it's the alpha of this category i mean all work and no play makes jack the dull boy i mean everyone knows that and knows that he's a writer and so i want to ask you about this in particular do you think that the trigger for everything that jack torrance kind of undergoes in the movie is primarily motivated by his frustrations creatively, or is it more a movie about an unexplored trauma that he experienced, or is it actually just a ghost movie about a haunted hotel that then leads him to be a, like? When you read the movie, how do you read it? Well, what makes it so good is it's it's all of the above. But for me, it's absolutely 
mostly the writer's crisis because it's mm. Stephen King, because he does has done this so often. I mean, even Stan, I mean, he has writers in so many of his stories and and has come back to this. And and it's a metaphor for so much of the horror he has written um, and the way Jack Nicholson plays it there again. You have uh, the alcohol, the frustration. No, so for me, it absolutely that's that's the key thing. But I don't think I think you can certainly think it's a fantastic movie feeling. It's just a ghost story and he's possessed by this hotel. Yeah, I feel like writers very easily identify what the issue is in the movie. Most people don't think of it as a movie about a writer, I don't think, um, even though for for our purposes, it's like you say, it's kind of a key movie. Um, what about you? you what's one you like? I'm going to go with the writers in Royal Tenenbaums. Eli oh. Cash and Margot Tenenbaum, which I love. I love that movie. Um, Me too. I think that Eli Cash, who's this, he like in the movie you were talking about, strikes it big with his second novel. I guess he's sort of a Cormac McCarthy type, um, mm. but he's also a horrible drug addict and he really wants to be part of the Tenenbaum family. He's sort of like Richie in The Bear, which is one of my favorite all-time characters. <laughs> I think I am that that one who, who sort of didn't really have that nuclear family growing up so i'm always looking for other families yeah yeah <laughs> um and on then of course margot tenenbaum played so brilliantly by gwyneth paltrow who's this award-winning playwright with severe writer's block who's adopted and really mysterious and constantly smoking and missing a finger and 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 i just think those are in in the, within this family and within the relationship, those are great. I was curious, what, what do you what do you make of um Asteroid City? Because that's also very much a movie about a writer and a playwright and the construction of the story. Um, and that's like it's in, in a way, the Edward Norton character is a kind of writer in crisis as well. Yes, I didn't even think about this for this list. That's a great example. I mean, I really like that movie. I know that people are very split on it, but I'm kind of a Wes Anderson head, so it works for me. I thought it was quite magical, and I actually thought it was one of his most sentimental movies in a while, um, which really got me. So, um, But I, that's interesting. Absolutely. It's the same. That's also, I guess, Wes Anderson also is playing with these themes yeah, I had an I have an example for my next movie that is also related to a movie that is coming out this year. This this theme runs really deep this year. Um, it really does. A movie that I I really like. We did a rewatchables episode about this movie earlier this year. Is uh, Alexander Payne's Sideways, yes. which is about a kind of frustrated novelist who ventures out on a bachelor party weekend with his best friend before he's about to be married. Um, the the writer played by Paul Giamatti also stars in a movie this year, The Holdovers, written and directed by Alexander Payne. The Holdovers has not been pitched as a movie about a writer or a frustrated writer, but it very much is. It's very much about, um, it's, ve it's very much in, in conversation with Sideways in so many ways, and it's their first time working together again, Payne and Giamatti. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar series features the best racing on the planet. 
Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. And Giamatti's character in, in the holdovers as well kind of aspires to be a great academic writer and has had a brilliant education. He doesn't get to the next level. Yeah. He can't do it. He can't write it. And I mean, I've never written a book and anybody you talk to who's written a book is like, Jesus, the first one, holy shit. It is so hard. (laughs) It's like having three babies. (laughs) Yes. Everyone says that. Um, And perhaps that has warned me off of it in some ways, but um, I think that sideways obviously is very much the same where it is a writer who has been slaving over something and when you hear Giamatti's character in Sideways talk about his book or tell Virginia Madison Madsen about it <laughs> it's I mean it sounds absolutely awful you know it sounds deeply convoluted and um kind of kind of phantasmagoric and ridiculous and confused and it's because it's someone who's kind of been mulling over something for too long and hasn't been able to pull himself outside of it and sometimes you can get too inside of your work mm-hmm. and I, I really like that that portrayal and I I love, I love these movies being paired together too, because, you know, pain, I think is a, a little bit divisive, but there is a kind of sourness in his writing that if you find an actor who's capable of communicating it, it can be poetic. It can be musical. Um, and Giamatti is like, oh, it, he, he and, and Reese Witherspoon are the two absolute best at reading his dialogue, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So my next one is a bit meta. Um, it's Heartburn. Oh, yeah. Which I think is about in, in the movie. She's a writer, Rachel, and she's married to this political columnist. But it is Nora Ephron, the writer, writing about her divorce from Carl Bernstein in this incredible book and movie. The movie stars Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson and very much in the vein of what we were talking about before married writers. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I love this this movie. I love this uh <laughs> similar to anatomy of a fall yeah like yeah. in terms of the just like pure rage that sometimes and the intellectual rage <laughs> yeah yeah just like boiling over um why do you think mike nichols connected with this movie oh i'm sure that he had <laughs> he had these fights and he was fascinated by that verbiage that comes out of something to smart people. So I think, I mean, I, it's absolutely perfect for him. Um, yeah, I like this one a lot too. Um, you want me to do another one? Yes, go ahead. That was nine. I'm not, we're not really doing them in any order, but. <laughs> I don't have quite 10, but I have close. Oh, good. Um, how about Barton Fink? Oh, that's one of mine. Let's talk about okay, that that's- one. That's great. Uh, obviously, one of the Coen brothers' early masterpieces, another movie about a screenwriter, I guess technically a playwright attempting to become a screenwriter, leaving the the safety of Broadway and the success of Broadway to come to Hollywood to learn how to become a Hollywood screenwriter and maybe write a wrestling picture for Wallace Beery. Uh, another movie about paranoia, about the inability to get across what you want to say, about being understood, about entering the world of commerce. Um, it's always funny... You know, the Coen brothers, I don't know if they've ever actually talked about the commercial expectation of movies. I don't really feel like they care. No, they don't. <laughs> and yet, and yet this movie is kind of about that. Mm-hmm. It is kind of, it is about being inside of the business of writing. And obviously like the angst and the repression and all the other things that, that come to the surface. I love the John Mahoney portrayal of the 
uh, Faulkner-esque character in this movie. Um, and Faulkner, who also kind of near the end of his career, came to Hollywood and started taking screenwriting gigs in order to, I guess, just make some money and save his life as he died slowly of alcoholism. But um, it, it's, a, again, a, none of these movies are very happy, are they? No, it's they're not. It's not a very happy movie. <laughs> but one thing that's great about Barton Fink, too, is that here you really get the visualization of all these distractions at, that the writer feels or thinks that he feels be it like a mosquito mm -hmm. or all these external factors that are like a struggle just to be able to start writing and and um the irritation that either it's in his head or it's actually real yeah i love that so that, i mean that's a brilliant movie um i can't imagine i mean have people listening to your show not seen barton fink I oh of course seen barton they fink. must have seen yeah. barton fink. do you think they've seen ace in the hole well, I certainly have. I'm sure many have. Yeah, I feel like it's um, a little bit, a little bit lost. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, it's kind of second tier Billy Wilder at this. It's point, actually but... one of my screenwriter husband's absolute favorites. That's interesting. Yeah. I think um, another movie that really explores like the venality and selfishness of writers and what they will do to get what they need to finish what they need to do. Um, Kirk Douglas movie about a newspaper journalist who finds a man trapped in a mine and kind of exploits the man who's trapped in all the people in a town. Uh, but is a brilliant movie. And I think, how did you ever feel selfish as a, as a creative person? Like, do you feel like you're putting yourself over everyone else around you? Oh, of course. <laughs> Don't you? I, I mean, and yes, it's probably a, <laughs> the guilt. A, a I mean, guilt is part of, of, of every day being a mother and, and everything else, but absolutely being a creative a person yeah. <laughs> on top of it. Yeah. Having a kid totally raises the stakes on this too. Cause you're just like anything I'm doing about my stuff is uh, at the expense of my child. Mm -hmm. And that is just a huge error. It's a fascinating thing. Anyway, um, Ace in the Hole is a great movie. Yeah. And we're going to get back to uh, Billy Wilder, of course, because he's probably the, the best at this game, but I want to do another Stephen King while we're here. And that's Paul oh. Sheldon, um, James Kahn and misery. I mean, talk about <laughs> the, maybe the writer in most physical crisis of all of the ones we've talked about. The, he's the author of a beloved kind of a Victorian set of novels who gets in an accident and is saved by a fan who turns out to be a psychopath. And mm. um, Kathy Bates, who chains him up in, in um, yeah, another one of the uh, biggest anxieties of Stephen King's writers. <laughs> A real careful what you wish for movie, you know, <laughs> yes. the, the success you seek is not exactly does not manifest in the ways that you hope. Um, really, I mean, that's a delicious movie. Mm. It's really, really a lot of fun. What about adaptation? Yes, that's my number two, actually. So, oh, exciting. Uh, yeah, the Charlie Kaufman scripted, Spike Jones directed, um, I guess, adaptation of the Susan Orlean uh, nonfiction book, The Orchid Thief, which is actually much more about Charlie Kaufman and his inability to adapt the film, The Orchid Thief, so much so that he creates a character out of both himself and a twin that does not exist, um, both of whom are played by Nick Cage. And another movie about like the amazing evocation of the inability to write. <laughs> like no, this is this is an absolute. I think this one probably has the most amount of self-loathing of all mm -hmm. of the writers that we've talked about. It just almost makes me cringe thinking about it. I have the problem that I think is very common amongst writers, which is that I think, and I'm happy to be told that I'm wrong, but I think that I have quote unquote talent 
And I also think I'm a, like a terrible writer. I like when I read what I've written, it could have been from 30 years ago. It could have been from two years ago. I think it is dreadful. And I, I'm I, the problem with it is, and I sense this in Charlie Kaufman, who is of course a genius, that you know it's that you know what you want to do, you know what you want to say, you know what you're trying to communicate, and you just can't manifest it. You just don't have the power to manifest it. And I wouldn't even describe myself as completely self-loathing, but in this act, I just I'm I'm like, why do I why? Why do I suck so much? Like I can't, I can't get past that. It's a, it's a very challenging thing. But do you think that if Charlie Kaufman or any of these writers, if they didn't have, or you didn't have at least a minimum of self-loathing, that it actually would be good? I don't know. I think about this with um, novelists. See, this is the narcissism. I think I have to get nervous. Oh my God, I'm going to be interviewing Sean Fennessy. I've been doing this for years and years and years. I'm so nervous. And I think if I'm not no, nervous, not. it'll, but I mean, you know, I want it to be good. But I think if I, if I would totally lose that, there's also something humble in, in being that in a way. Well, I think that makes sense. You were definitely not nervous. When we, when we met this summer, you were so cool, which is why I'm doing the show right now. So, um, well, I think the friends that you meet in the line in Telluride are something special. They are. I, I'm a real believer in that. I genuinely think that is one of the best places in the world, especially if you're post 30 to make friends, friends who are interested in movies. It's amazing. Yes. Almost everybody I meet at the festival is just has the right approach to life. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's hard to say. I'm interested in writers too, who have had a lot of success and who have seemed to have lost that. Like if you read interviews with John Updike near the end of his life or something, he has a kind of confidence, a self-confidence, a, a, a um, I don't know, a kind of a, an, I, I, it's not arrogant. That's not quite the word. I, I don't know what the word is to communicate the level of comfort he has with his work that not many people get to. Mm -hmm. You know, most writers, even those who are not crippled by self-doubt are on a quest to figure something out. And then there is this select few who are like, I know, I know exactly what to do. And once I land on the idea, I pursue. You know, I, the writers who have like 40 published novels, like who are those people? That they're, they're, they're freaks. That's insane that they can accomplish that. <laughs> well, they're the ones so, who have like Scandi Noir and that type of sort of just one after another. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean so much like the conveyor belt uh, commercial writer, though in, in many ways, like James Patterson, like that, mm -hmm. that guy's going to publish 100 novels before he dies. That's remarkable. Um, so I do have, I have respect for that. But I, it's more like the, the great literary creatures who also publish 50 novels. Like I, that is baffling to me genuinely i want to mention mank which is of course herman mankiewicz the movie um about the real screenwriter and the development of the of citizen kane the 1941 film by orson welles david fincher who i think is a master at these types i know lots of people this this movie was divisive i thought it was amazing <laughs> it, it was my favorite movie of that year and was it's one it? of my favorite fincher movies yeah um i thought this was just so precise and it sort of encapsulated so many incredible artists not only fincher but wells and mank and all these people this is also kind of like misery um a screenwriter a writer who's in bed recovering from i guess he's he has a car crash, right? It's a broken car accident. Leg. Yep. He alcoholic while he's drunkenly trying to write the movie that becomes Citizen Kane. You know what I love about this movie? I absolutely adore this movie. I'm I I'm not confused why it's divisive, but I think it's unfortunate that it's become so divisive. 
because people expect a certain thing. If David Fincher's name were not on it, I wonder if people would think differently about it. But um, it's a movie about a writer on assignment. This is not a writer pursuing a florid passion project. It is a movie that a director has commissioned to a gifted kind of conveyor belt manufacturer of ideas. And one of the great scenes in the movie is this portrayal of the writer's room that was happening at MGM at the time with writers like Ben Hecht, Mm -hmm. um, incredible screenwriting geniuses who have remarkable credits to their name, but who also wrote schlocky, goofy comedies. Yeah. Um, And the sequence where we meet the writers and then the writers go in to pitch a new idea to David Oselznick is incredible portrayal of the way that the ease with which these men use tropes to invent stories in real time. You know, it comes so easily to these people at, in this moment. And if you've ever met, like I interviewed David Kep once, the screenwriter, who's a tremendously successful screenwriter who's worked on Spider-Man, Jurassic Park movies, written for Steven Spielberg. He's one of the most successful screenwriters the last 40 years. One, it was a really interesting interview because he was um, very unafraid to be like a little snide with me, which I actually kind of enjoy. I like to mix it up a little bit sometimes. And I, I think his perspective, I think he had listened to the show that I make and was like, you don't understand anything about movies. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> um, and I, I kind of enjoyed that because the truth is I don't, you know, like we don't like we know we understand what we have seen. But I think what actually goes into the construction, the execution of movies is very unseen and unknown and very much by design. And a movie like Mank, even though it's set 80 years in the past, attempts to kind of show you the manufacturer's style of filmmaking that so often happens in Hollywood. And so I love that aspect of, of, of Mank in particular. And also, obviously, just the idea of the origins of Kane and the portrayal of power in America at that time and all the other themes that are so rich and the idea that Fincher did this as an ode to his dad who himself was a a journalist and writer I mean it's a it's a rich and layered movie with a lot of ideas are there less women in crisis that are in characters of writers in crisis that are women there's very few I had like Catherine Trammell on my list remember Mm. basic instinct I don't know if you will authorize if you're okay with that on this I mean I don't know if she's in crisis or if she's crazy or what the Christina is, but it's I... your show it's are you okay with it you know uh <laughs> I think well, she makes a power a move call. of not wearing underwear but I wouldn't say that's particularly <laughs> I don't think that's because of a crisis she doesn't seem to be in any kind of crisis no, no she seems to be um in total control her idea of control is upsetting yes uh, and murderous but um I, I I do have a female um character who fits the bill here i loved mia hansen loves bergman island mm. um which i thought was a you know another film about a screenwriter a very autobiographical movie about a couple that traveled to uh is it faro how do i how do i pronounce Order. it you know, you're the right person <laughs> to ask that question um the the world that she creates and her visit to this um somewhat mythical and inspiring but also somewhat banal and disappointing mm-hmm. it's not what you think piece of the world yeah <laughs> Um, and whether or not it can draw out your creativity, I think is an interesting concept. I've never really gone on a writer's retreat or a writer's vacation. I've, I, I'm much more like I'd like to be in my garage and it'd be one o'clock in the morning and I have a whiskey in my hand rather than attempting to orchestrate or manifest. Yeah, I don't think I creativity. could do that either. Yeah, but I, th- I know that many people do this. I know that many people go to their second homes or they go on a vacation and attempt to focus on what they need to execute on. So 
Um, I like that movie quite a bit. And Vicky Crepes is, uh, is, is one of my favorite actresses. So I thought I would add that to the list. That's great. But not as many of female writers, at least that one can think of in this subcategory. What do you make of Woody Allen's, all his characters? I, I mean, I love his work so much. Um, I thought a bit of Deconstructing Harry. Have you seen that film? Yes. Which is a really one of the, 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 the most bitter and, and mean-spirited of the Woody Allen movies. Um, and it's very much about a, a writer writing through his life and using the people in his life and exploiting. And um, I think that this is a very funny and strange movie. And I, I it, it's really, I feel like often Woody Allen is hiding some of the rage that he has, but there is a period in the early to mid nineties where he lets it, lets it fly a little bit. You know, Husbands and Wives is right. also a similarly kind of angry movie and embittered kind of a movie. And but Deconstructing Harry is it's kind of a farcical romp, but has a a real acid tone to it. Um, so I, I I think he's an interesting. Um, he goes from being like neurotic and comical to angry and cynical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I'm sure that his success is a part of that too. And you know, feeling misunderstood or feeling like he has maybe more right to set to to be a little bit more angry. And frankly, like as I get older, I get it. You know, we like I, I'm starting to understand the generational yeah. divides. Yeah, <laughs> things are fucked up. You we, know? <laughs> we are the in that get off our lawn period. And <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Especially I if we're myself, writing, I wouldn't do that. I mean, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, as I look get at movies, my too, writer's look... retreat. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do you have a Woody Allen uh, writer? So many of his movies about writers. So many. I mean, I was Alvy Singer and all the, all the ones where he actually makes jokes about writing and writers, I think are, are, you know, they're really funny, but none that I can sort of pick out. Mm hmm. Yeah, I thought of Midnight in Paris, right? Because yeah. there's no one Wilson mm -hmm. in Midnight in Paris, a writer. Um, a lot of his movies, almost all of his movies all are, of are, are about writers. Um, should I give you another one? Yes, please. What about Almost Famous? Yes. I was thinking about that one. I wasn't sure if if um, how much of a crisis, but of course, you know, getting the article together, it is kind of a crisis. Definitely a crisis for his mom. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think his journey is a crisis, mm -hmm. um, a coming of age. And then once the article is published, that is something that is so interesting to me. You know, like most of the writing that I've done in my life is in the service of celebrities and artists. You know, I worked at music magazines and um, and then kind of lifestyle magazines. And I've now been interviewing um, filmmakers for years and years. And sometimes you hear back from them about what you've done. <laughs> sometimes they don't like it very much. No. <laughs> and that's a unique experience. And that is a kind of crisis when you're a writer. Because on the one hand, you want to, honestly represent what you feel you saw or what you feel you understood about a person and how it intersects with what they make and who they are creatively. And sometimes you have this urge to protect them because they were nice to you or because you like what they do. And that conflict is so interesting to me. You know, many of my friends are, are journalists in this mold and we all kind of came up together at a time in New York and um, at, at magazines and keeping that balance between being honest about what you've observed in a person and who they are and what they are, but also finding a way to kind of celebrate them and cut them some slack in the face of their very strange lives is hard. Yeah. It's really difficult to achieve. Um, and almost famous is that, is that problem seen through the eyes of a 16 year old who's incredibly impressionable and who wants to be liked. And is a bit of an outcast. And so 
it's just an it's an amazing metaphor i think for the experience of going into a new world and wanting to be accepted so i love that movie it was so funny. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Errol Morris for Pigeon Tunnel, and he spent part of part of my interview so pissed off at David Marquez and his interview that he ran, oh, ran yeah. about it in my interview. And, we, and yeah. I had without being having a question about it, just like coming to think of it. So I think also there are creatives who that that one thing, that one. It can be hundreds of bad reviews, but there's one writer that wrote something that just gets you so much that you cannot let that one go. And this, this is was... my favorite topic, Christina. This okay. is like, like my favorite thing. I first of all, I also just interviewed Errol Morris, and did he, he did talk not bring about up David? It? Oh, he didn't. He didn't bring up David. I know David is a friend of mine, um, and David, of course, like a, a world class interview. Oh my god, um, like one best. of the greatest interviewers <laughs> in the world, but also like you know, enjoyably confrontational as a mm -hmm. style. What Errol Morris brought up when we spoke was Richard Brody's review of his film. And he brought it up because I asked him a question that sincerely was inspired by something I read in Richard Brody's review, though I did not cite it. And the minute I asked it. But it was right he, here. He, at the front it was of right at the front of his <laughs> mind. And I find that so interesting. And I love to ask filmmakers or really any creative people, do you read reviews of your own work? Now, Errol Morris himself is a writer and a great thinker about movies. And so, of course, he reads all of his reviews, especially or at least the reviews of the, the critics that he likes. But um some people when asked that question lie mm -hmm. some people pretend to lie and then tell you the truth some lie and then tell you off mic the truth and some the people that i love you know i love james gray i've had james gray on on the big picture many times and james will tell you you know i sure of course i read these things and they hurt my feelings yeah. so deeply they hurt so much because everybody is working so hard to make something good bad people and good people and i try to bring that mentality whenever i'm talking about this stuff but sometimes you forget because you get into the narcissism that we're talking about where you're like, my opinion is all that matters. So I'm it's a right. fascinating balance. I'm, I'm right. Exactly. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to mention? Mm, since we just talked about a lot of screenwriters, I thought I would cite In a Lonely Place, mm -hmm. um, the Nicholas Ray, Humphrey Bogart film about a mysterious and oh, perhaps murderous screenwriter. Oh, terrific movie. One of the great kind of Hollywood noirs, um, like literally about Hollywood and what it's like to work there. A nice pairing, I think, with Barton Fink. Mm -hmm. They're kind of contemporaneous in their setting and similar in their attitudes toward the world. Cynical. Everything is a flame. Don't trust anyone. Um, and features like a very toxic love affair. Uh, I really, really love In a Lonely Place. So if people haven't seen it, it's one of the great movies of the 1940s. Hmm. Thank you for reminding me. I don't haven't seen that in years, I think. For me, the I mentioned it in the intro, but Sunset Boulevard is just the the best of the best. Um, the post mortem narration, the screenwriter dead in the pool, the whole the the way it captures his struggle, and also, I mean, he's down on his luck, but he's also incredibly narcissistic, unapologetic character um, that you. He's hard to love, <laughs> to put it lightly. No, he, he's vainglorious. Yes. He, he's doing everything for himself. Everything for himself. And then he meets someone. Um, he comes into this world, which he thinks he understands, but he really doesn't. And I just think it's amazing. I love it, too. It's a great movie. And, you know, Wilder. I don't know. This is a dumb thing to say, but is Wilder the, the great writer-director, like the signature writer-director of, of movie history? He might be. He might mm -hmm. be. My son is named Wilder, his middle name, 
I love that. (laughs) So if you're asking me the question, is it? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, he really is magnificent. Even his characters that are not writers kind of feel like writers. Jack Lemmon in the apartment kind of feels like a writer. He's not a writer. He's an office drone. But he has that same kind of neurotic searching, questing, that desire to be liked, that desire to be understood. You know, he just there's something in the in the character of Billy Wilder's characters. This so so relatable. He is he's the goat. He is the the goat. goat. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, Sean, I've kept you for an hour. Thank you so much for talking to me. I had so much fun. It was my pleasure. This was great. I'm so happy. I hope you'll come on again. Yeah, just let me know. I mean, this idea is so good too. You really nailed one. Thank you so much. And of course, all the listeners, you know where to find Sean. And and you have the greatest interviews. I saw the list of things you have coming up for the rest of the season. It's all the big movies and all the big interviews. Um, you have Sofia Coppola on this week, which I do as well. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Kudos to you. She's great, right? She was still oh, a wonderful film. My, I think it's top tier for me of her. And and I'm a for her. Fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I agree. It's my favorite in a long, long time from her. But yeah, it's just a great. It's a great time for for films. I you know not to sound like an idiot but every week there's a really interesting movie out Mm. and um that has not been true for three or four years it's an incredible we're very lucky right now just to mention she was talking we were talking Sophia in in my interview about where her father used to go to write when he wanted some peace and quiet Reno and Vegas Such an Elvis thing to do. That's wow. where he found his, it's because he could order food 24 hours and then just go and play a little bit. And just that he found that the most peaceful place. I'll tell you what, I deeply relate to that as I'm a real Vegas lover. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a, a, an aggressive gambler, but I love to play poker. And what I liked, I, my version of Vegas is not bachelor parties and debauchery. It is solitude. I am a kind of a Paul Schrader character in Vegas where mm-hmm. I want to play by myself eat by myself. I don't want to party. I don't want to hang out. So maybe I should try writing there. That's yeah. A great, so great you idea. and Francis. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're about the same in terms of, you know, you talent are. and experience. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, we're very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Christina. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.